All right, welcome to Call and Shots. This is Seth Partner. I'm joined today by uh, my colleague at The Athletic and uh, um, many years ago uh, uh, from the, we go way back to the Clipper blog days, uh, Johan Buha. Johan, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, I've, I've been wanting to have you on the show basically since Darvin Ham got hired as the Lakers coach. And I wanted to start there. Uh, for those that don't know, um, uh, I worked with Darvin for a year in Milwaukee, and I think extremely highly of him, and I'm extremely happy that he has gotten his opportunity as a, as a head coach. Um, and he's sort of been dropped into a not, um, not the easiest first-time head coaching situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the, the thing with Darvin that has stood out first and foremost is his gravitas. And he, he just has this charm and charisma uh, when he speaks that I think that that is something that was really important for the Lakers uh, in their coaching search. And that's something that he clearly has. But of course, you go beyond that and you hear him talk X's and O's. And I think he clearly knows what he's talking about. He was obviously with Bud for a decade. And, um, you know, he, he's already kind of mentioned his Rolodex of, uh, you know, coaches that he speaks with on a frequent basis. And that's Bud and, and Quinn Snyder and Mike Brown and um, just different guys around the league. So I think he's someone that, you know, put in his time as an assistant coach uh, you know, did everything that he needed to do to work up the, the coaching ladder. And um, I think it really was just a matter of time until he finally got this opportunity. I, I know he had been uh, a finalist in, in, you know, multiple situations and had already interviewed for a, a few coaching spots. So I think already we're, we're seeing his impact. Like, you know, tonight the Lakers are going to bring Russ off the bench, which was something they did not do last season, despite I think it making a lot of sense uh, you know, when, once it was kind of clear the first 20 games or so of, of how awkward that fit, I, I think it was always clear. But but once we actually had the sample size of, OK, like this just isn't working, um, you know, they, they never brought him off the bench last year. So I think, you know, seeing that, seeing AD starting at the five and that likely being the lineup that the Lakers start with. And um, I think the offense has just had a much better flow and, and structure already through the preseason uh, I think the the defensive stuff he, he's tried to replicate some of the stuff that Milwaukee does. So I think he he's already off to a, a pretty good start in LA, and and you're you're already seeing him make some difficult decisions that the Lakers were unable to do last year, be it because of Frank Vogel or, or because of the front office, or you know that there's a lot of factors at play there. But Darvin Ham is is already getting stuff done, and I think he he deserves a lot of credit. I like the way you you described it as commanding a room, and it's not just it's it's. Uh, one of the reasons why I was extremely like forceful in my backing of his candidacy to places is uh, he can command many different kinds of room. I think he's, he's you know, you probably see it in, in, I mean, you see it obviously in, in the standpoint of, of, you know, the media room and interviewing, but it's also the locker room. It's also dealing with, with people behind the scenes in the front office and, you know, not just being a forceful personality, but being a, a, a good listener as well. And, and it's not just, you know, having a bunch of names in the Rolodex, but being able to take things from people. So I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that that's, that's sort of already translating to, to LA. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, he's, he's already talked about, um, you know, that they, they 
have additional wrinkles they want to throw in both offensively and defensively. And he's, he's not been trying to overwhelm the players through the first couple of weeks. But um, again, I think, you know, th- there was a sense last year with, with this team that th- they weren't, you know, and it, it, there were so many different, again, factors that it's hard to kind of, you know, I, I think everyone's quick to, to scapegoat a couple of people. And I don't think that's necessarily fair, but, for whatever reason, it, it you know th- there was a, a disconnect between Russell Westbrook and Frank Vogel, and um, I don't think Frank was able to maximize him and and, and get him to buy in in the way that Darwin I, I think already has. So um, you know I, I think there's there's always the, the the chance that this blows up, and and we'll see how Russ adjusts to coming off the bench. But I, I was told by someone after the game. Um, the, the, the last preseason game that they played that that, you know, at this point that they've kind of evaluated it, you know, in practices and, and in the preseason games. And they just view it as we have to stagger LeBron and Russ as much as possible. And, you know, it's probably unless you really cut Russ's minutes, it's, it's going to be impossible for them to not share the floor in some moments. And, and maybe that's also, you know, closing games. But I, I think bringing Russ off the bench makes a lot of sense um, it's something that Shams, Sam, and I reported, you know, uh, about a week and a half be- before the season, uh, something that we had gotten wind of and didn't start that way in training camp. Darvin was trying to test out Russ in the, in the starting group, but it has not really worked. It really did not work in, in that last game uh, against Minnesota. And uh, I, I think I think you're going to see probably a better version of Russ, a, a better starting group. And Really, if this team does end up keeping him, which I, I do suspect they will, you know, continue to kick the tires and, and look for a, a potential deal before the trade deadline. But as long as he's on the team, I think it makes a lot more sense to stagger those two, bring Russ off the bench and have him command the second unit, which I think is probably where the, the type of role he's probably headed for down the, you know, the, the back nine of his career. That that something that that's that has made a lot of sense. Um, I've, uh, you know, there Russ and and LeBron are often the two players I use as examples of of players who just their presence changes the way all their teammates play, uh, and so it's very interesting to, to you know see them 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 come together and you know the 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 gravitational forces of kind of the two sons collide, as it were. Uh, and and as you you know point out at this stage in their career, one of them is even though LeBron's a few years older, the, he's he's a more effective you know fulcrum of a of a front line of a front line player now. And so obviously, you, if you're going to split them up, it, he he both by stature um, and skill is is going to be the guy who leads the first unit. Um, I do think that that um, moving the, Russ to the bench also. I mean, one of the concerns I would have about this roster is depth a little bit. And mm-hmm. if there's one thing uh, Russ can do, it's it's soak up some possessions. Um, and so that I mean, I, I, if everyone is actually committed to that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, and and I think that Russ is. His strengths are amplified off the bench and his weaknesses are diminished off the bench because I think you, you've you seen it, um, you, you know, I, I don't know how much you've been able to see of their preseason so far, but especially in that Minnesota game, like I, I felt you, you saw the, the, the Russ warts defensively of, of just, um, especially when they're going with these three guard lineups, 
it's someone has to play up and most of the time you're, you're probably going to put Pat on the, the best backcourt guy. So um, I, I know they, they kind of look at Pat as, you know, a mini three and D wing for them, but he's, you know, they're kind of juggling between him defending small forwards and him defending the, the best backcourt option. So that was a, a scenario where you, you had to kind of play Russ up and, and he was, uh, you know, de- defending McDaniels and, it was just giving up a lot of size there on on, off, on the offensive glass and, and just, you know, paint defense and, and stuff like that. So I think, you know, Russ, Russ's defense, um, you know, has been a, a, a popular topic on Lakers Twitter. And I think it's maybe not as bad as, as some people want to paint it out to be. But I think especially off the ball, he, he can lose his man. He does struggle navigating screens and he, he's not you know, his best thing is probably helping at, at some points. But um, I, I think, you know, bringing that off the bench, it's less of a concern. And then offensively, um, I think, you know, he, he him going against second units, like you, you can see the blueprint there for him having success. And um, I think his shooting is less of a concern. And like, I just think it's a little bit easier to build lineups with, with him coming off the bench. So uh, I suspect that they'll go, you know, opening night with AD, LeBron, Pat, and then those, those final two spots are, are going to be two of Austin Reeves, uh, Lonnie Walker and, and Kendrick Nunn. And, and they're, they're still trying to figure out like what, what's the best combination there. But I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's, it's been headed this way for a while now. And um, despite, you know, that, that was the, the one thing Darwin, Darwin's been pretty good with, with being transparent in terms of like lineups and rotation. And um, you know, you, you ask him those types of questions and he's pretty straightforward, but, the one thing that he, you know, the, the, the one card he was playing close to his vest was uh, Russ coming off the bench because, you know, media day, he, he kind of hedged and was like, you know, well, it's a ways away and we still got to decide. And like he, he was very um, hesitant to make a you know proclamation either way. But then the first day of training camp, he's like, I don't know where this narrative's coming that I'm bringing Russ off the bench. Like he's a starter. He's, he's part of our big three. And obviously that is no longer the case, at least temporarily. So I think it's, yeah, like I, I just, I think it's, as you, you kind of said, like it's made too much sense. It's the best way to split up LeBron and, and Russ. And I think, you know, now it's just a matter of, can he accept that? Can he accept a smaller role? And, and how does he, you know, can they unlock a better version of him? And, and then if not, I think that they have some tough decisions to make in the rotation. He wouldn't be the first superstar to have a hard time adjusting yeah. to being in a different stage of their career. Um, I mean, it's, you know, his teammate, his one-time teammate in Oklahoma City, Carmelo Anthony, um, you know, it kind of took a couple of years. And then the last couple of years, he's, he, he sort of had found a way to make himself uh, a viable kind of, uh, you know, tertiary player again by really limiting what he did and, and, it doesn't seem like like Westbrook has made that adjustment yet, and frankly, it doesn't seem like his skill set is particularly amenable to that. Yeah, and th- that's the the difference of of when we talk about guys like Carmelo or or Vince Carter or Paul Pierce, um, like those guys had you know. A, a skill that could transfer in, into being a role player in their elite shooting or, you know, at least, you know, above average, good shooting. Um, and you, you saw Paul Pierce become a, a stretch four, and, 
you know, Vince kind of hang around as eventually a small forward and then also kind of a stretch four, uh, and, and Mello develop into that role as well. So I think those guys had, you know, more size. Um, I think we're, we're better defensively, not in Mello's case, but, but in the other two and, and kind of had more of just a natural role as like a, a plug and play stretch big, um, either as like the fourth or fifth guy in the starting lineup or as a bench guy. And w- with Russ, it's just, you know, he, he doesn't have that shooting and he, he doesn't have the defense and he doesn't have the size. So it, it does like this type of guy we have typically seen not age that well. Uh, the, the comparison I've made is Allen Iverson. And I, I think that there is a, a big overlap there in, in terms of not only their, their style of play, but also their personality and their kind of, uh, pers- you know, self-perspective and, and self-awareness and, and just kind of almost, you know, kind of trying to go out on their terms. And, and we saw AI really struggle, you know, post-Denver, um, you know, in, in Detroit and, and Memphis and then that last stint in Philly, like he just couldn't really accept that he was no longer Allen Iverson. And I think there's been some, you know, uh, some breadcrumbs with, with Russ not fully, I think, accepting that. Yeah, I thought his exit interview with the Lakers last season was very telling and some of the stuff that came out with his agent. And, um, you know, I've, I've talked about this stuff all summer, so I don't, I don't want to rehash too much of it. But I think there's been some evidence that he maybe hasn't really accepted where he's at in, um, you know, his game or at least the perception of his game. Because I think, you know, a big part of it is, just how people, you know, at the end of the day, like a big part of this is just how the league perceives him. Right. And, and his trade value. And, um, you know, I, I think there was a point in the summer where he would have loved to have been traded, but it was going to cost the Lakers a couple picks and it, it still might end up costing them a couple picks. And, you know, they've been hesitant to do that. So I think for, for him, it's, you, you know, like th- there are, I think there are some things that he can do. We, we've seen, he's still, I, I think a high level playmaker, like when he gets downhill, he can make, high level reads still and i think that's probably the best part of his game right now is um you know he's still a, a good passer and someone that can draw the defense in and, and create opportunities either for bigs who are in the dunker spot or kicking out the shooters like he, he can still do those things at a high level he, he can still score although uh, i think his efficiency numbers have, have been declining now for for a couple of years and um he's no longer the finisher that he once was but it, it, it's tough just because he doesn't really have that like transferable skill that you want other than I think the playmaking, but um, you know, that's maybe like a backup point guard skill set. And I don't think he's, he's really at that point in his career, at least in his head. So I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how this ultimately shakes out. And like, I think there will be a decrease in playing time naturally if he is coming off the bench, but is that like 28 minutes? Is that 22 minutes? Like I'm interested to see where Darwin gets with it because they have so many guards and, and, you know, this is a very, uh, imbalanced roster from, from a roster construction perspective. And there's going to be a lot of three guard lineups. And, and I think ultimately they're going to have to make some type of change. Cause I, I think it's hard to play that way for 48 minutes. Sure. I last sort of Russ facing question that I want to move on to other stuff, because I can imagine that you're, you're probably rust out a little bit. Um, and it just, it, this is just <laughs> more, yeah. I mean, it, it's the, the latest sort of flashpoint was in the preseason game. I'm sure you've seen the, the, the gift that was clipped of Pat Beverly trying to bring everyone together in a huddle. And is that one of those things that's just like a weird, you know, moment in time caught on camera or 
you know, given the past history between the players, you sort of have to ask about it. Um, I can't imagine that anyone's been like super upfront about there being problems with you. Uh, but what's the sense that you get of sort of that dynamic? Yeah, I mean, I, I will say I, I felt the vibe was a, a bit off uh, just overall. And, and, you know, now we're back in the locker room and I felt I did feel there there was a little bit of tension. Um, you know, Russ didn't have a good game. Uh, obviously, the, the team decided to bring him. You know, that was I don't think that was the deciding factor in bringing him off the bench or getting to that point. But I think it, it was kind of the final data point of, OK, like we've now kind of seen how this looks for a couple of weeks and we, we need to make a change here. Um, so I think, you know, and, and he went on Instagram and, and posted uh, his, you know, the, the Bible verse and like, th- there was just, I feel like there was too much stuff kind of surrounding it to, to not mean anything, but I, I don't think it was as, um, as maybe, uh, you know, bad or, or as dire as, as people were making it on Twitter. Like, I think, you know, the, the thing with the huddle on the court, like he, he was complaining to the ref. Um, now, I do think in that instance, you, you probably should just just go, you know, you, you only have a few seconds to, to have a huddle with your teammates. And, and maybe, you know, that should take, um, you know, precedence over you complaining to the ref. And, uh, you know, they, they were it was a good few seconds there of them trying to get his attention and, and get him to come. So, like, I, I don't think that was him necessarily blowing them off. I, I think he was upset and, and trying to complain. But um, I, I think. You know, this is again. There, there's been you know moments from last season that went viral with, with him and you know uh, touching LeBron and AD on the head, and, and them not really going for that. And like, th- there's been the, these these like kind of subtle things that have have been building up. Um, so I, I don't think, again, I don't think it was as big of a deal as a lot of people made it out to be. But I, I do think there just generally is some tension with the situation. Um, you know, I, I don't think it, it has gone as well as both sides have wanted it to go in, in, in preseason. And I think that's ultimately why they got to this point of, of shifting to bringing him off the bench. So I think he probably sensed that. I think I will say with the, him standing to the side, like he, he does do that. So he, he's not wrong. And like, um, I know the optics didn't look great, but he, he has been doing that for a while. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, uh, so that I'll, I'll give him a pass on, but uh, in general though, I just felt you've kind of felt some tension around the team just with this whole situation. That's probably a good, good place. Let's good places. Any just uh, cut off with the, with the, uh, the, the Russ conversation, because like you, I'm I'd sort of the, the, the um, ink to impact ratio is, is probably uh, pretty far to one direction for for him as for any player in the league. Um so let's let's talk about the, the the players who will have more of an impact on the the Lakers this season. Um the the, the most important player on the Lakers is probably Anthony Davis. And yeah. not just and and not just uh, across two dimensions I think. Um one uh, like availability and what version of him we get. Um, now he's said things about wanting to play all 82 games. I don't think anyone thinks that's going to happen. Um, he's already missing preseason games because of, you know, various little things as he's missed in games with various little things throughout his career. Um, I guess the question is, you mentioned the imbalanced roster, like what, what can they do to get him through the season in one piece? 
Yeah, it's it, it's tough because he said he he wants to play all eighty two too, but he's already dealing with it with uh you know some back soreness and tightness that that's now gonna have kept him out of half of the preseason. And I wonder if there needs to be some type of load management situation here with, with him, where um like I, I don't think it's smart for him to try to play all eighty two. Like I, I think his goal should be to be healthy by April and, 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 you know, to be healthy entering the playoffs. And that probably requires him playing, you know, somewhere between 60 and 70 games and, and not going for all 82. I, I feel like, you know, based on his injury history, um, you know, I'm actually kind of writing about this right now, but you know, he, he's missed an average of 19.5 games per season. And, you know, so you're at this point, you're really lucky if he plays 62 games. And uh, so I think it's it's a good like, you know, I think it's a good goal to have. I, I think it's better than him saying, like, I want to play 50 games. And, you know, like, I, I think based on the way the last two seasons have gone, um, you know, it's it's been the, t- the like he already had this perception as an injury prone player. But really, the past two seasons have been the worst of his career in, in terms of injuries and, and missed games like he had never missed half a season before and now he's done so in back-to-back seasons so like really you know whatever perception you had of him previously uh, in terms of his injury proneness like it's gotten even worse since he's been in LA you know post that first championship season so I I think they're you know you got to monitor his minutes Um, I think you know maybe you got to be careful they don't have a lot of four games and five nights and and, and, you know three and four and, and those types of things but in those stretches, I, I think maybe you, you sit him out a game or, or just are really cautious with his minutes. If it's any evidence of a blowout in either direction, you know, maybe you sit him. Um, you know, the, they were talking about starting him at the five, and I think that can come with obviously a, a greater physical toll when you're battling with, you know, uh, Jonas Valanciunas and, and Steven Adams and, and DeAndre Ayton and, and some of the bigger guys. But um, I also think on, on the other end, like, he's going to be playing behind the three point line a lot. They've been using him a lot at the elbows and the high post and, and above the break. And like, you know, kind of using him as this dribble handoff fulcrum of the offense and, and just the threat of him rolling and his shots look better. So like, I think it's, it's being cautious of just the, the workload. Like they've already been, you know, kind of careful with him in practices and Darwin has talked about, you know, if maybe he plays more in games, but like when, when it comes to practicing, that's where we kind of rest him and, and, and just make sure that he's not overexerting himself. But I think it's something you constantly got to manage with AD. Like it does feel like, um, you know, I had kind of heard the perception, but from actually watching it now, uh, the, the past couple of years, like it does feel like every other game he's going back to the locker room and like dealing with something at some point. Um, and, and every time he falls, the, the arena goes silent and, and, there's just gasping and, and you know what what you know what's going to happen and so i think it, it it's something that um you know kind of in line with like a, a Kawhi Leonard like maybe you do have to load manage him a little bit and just really be cautious of of the minutes and the workload but that's really it otherwise like i, I think i do think playing at the 4 is less physically taxing but i don't know if their center rotation is good enough for them to get away with that right now so um i, I think playing at the 5 is probably their best option overall. And yes, that, that might come with like a greater physical toll on him, but I think that's also their, their best path. So it's, 
they're in a tough spot. I, I do think they, they need to make a move and ideally add either a better big man, which is where I think the Indiana trade's interesting, or add another kind of three, four combo uh, forward that can fit next to LeBron and AD and, and maybe handle, you know, kind of like that Markeith Morris, Kyle Kuzma spot that they had a couple years ago where that guy could sometimes, you know, handle the, the center depending on who the center was. For sure. I want to I want to stick with that for a little bit. But first, uh, Charlie has got a question. Uh, Charlie, how's it going? Haven't talked to you in a while. Good, fellas. Good to be back uh, on with you, Seth and Jovan. Uh, I'm curious, you know, Rob Palenka is one of, I think, about a handful of former agents to transition to the head of front offices. Uh, Bob Myers, obviously the gold standard. But, you know, we hear so much about, like, how cutthroat the agent world is. And I'm just wondering if you can sort of speak to the difficulties of the agent to management transition, like the rival agents kind of, do they hold grudges or do they like get over stuff pretty quickly when, you know, it's time to do business. Um, I'm just always been curious about what that transition's like. That's a really good question. Uh, I, I think Seth might honestly be able to, to speak to it a, a little better than me, just having been on the, the front office side, but, uh, I think just in, in dealing with both front office and, you know, front office people and, and agents, like with an agent, you, you are very single-minded and it's all about your client and, you know, your player and, and getting them the best of everything, you know, getting them the most money possible, the, the best role possible and, and really talking them up when you're dealing with the media. Um, you know, the, there's several agents I, I deal with regularly and, and it's always just kind of, you know, look at how great my player is and look at this, you know, look at this pass that they made or, or look at this, um, you know, stat about them or whatever. And like, it, it is, there's a very, you know, sales person uh, dynamic to it. And I think that can translate well into the front office. Again, we, we have seen some people make that transition uh, pretty well, but I think that they're, you know, now you're not just representing, um a player, you're, you're representing all the players, but you, you know, you're representing the, the coach and the owner and, and the, the rest of the front office. And, um, you know, th there's a lot of responsibilities that go into it that that's just beyond kind of that singular focus. And I think it's, it, it kind of conflicts a little bit. And, you know, I, I know, um, you know, I think people do definitely hold grudges and I, I'm sure they're, they're, you know, you kind of heard different stories of, um, you know, with, with, you know, Rob, for example, of, of you know, maybe people that uh, didn't like him as an agent. And, and now, you know, that he's on the front office side. It's it's kind of makes that relationship a, li a little difficult. Um, so I think the transition is is tough to make. Uh, you know, again, it's certainly possible. I think Bob's done a great job. Uh, I think Rob has done an underrated job. You know, I, I don't think he's been perfect. And I, I've been critical of, of the last couple off seasons. And, um, you know, I, I think at some point the Lakers need to favor continuity. Uh, I don't think they've done that enough, but, um, you know, I also think he, he did play a part in, in building that championship team. I, I think there have been some moves around the margins that have been, you know, gone well and, and been a bit underrated. And um, it, it is a difficult transition for sure, though. And I think that's the reason why you haven't seen more people do it. But I, I do think, you know, some of the some of the things that help you as an agent can definitely burn some bridges and hurt you once you make that transition into the front office, but it's, it's definitely a different approach in my opinion. Um, I, I want to speak about Palinka specifically. I think that, that there are 
Um, I think you, you hit on the, some of the specifics there, but I think there are plenty of execs who kind of burn bridges too. I mean, it's, it's a cliche to say it's a relationship business. And while like successful agents are salesmeny and, and are basically or salesperson-y and, you know, always kind of trying to make their, their players look the best. There are some who do it like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm selling my guy, but I'm not bullshitting you. Uh, and there are some who are, are bullshitting and there are execs who will say, well, I've got this in my pocket. And there are execs who are, uh, who, who you can, you can basically take them at their word. And so I think that, um, it's not so much the agent thing as it would be if, if there's been like, not just deals that have gone bad, but like things that have been done that have, have sort of poisoned the trust that make the communication harder. Um, and you know, you, you, you hinted at, like, I, I can't report anything about that, that I've, that I've been involved with one way or the other with, with Rob Palenka. So I won't, but you know, I, I think you've, you, you laid some of those out. Um, so, and I, I, you know, and those are not the kinds of stories one heard about Bob Myers as an agent. So, um, what's the truth there? I don't know. Uh, maybe it's one is better at PR than the other, but who knows? Um, getting back, getting back to on the floor, I'm glad you mentioned like, like, uh, like, um, you know, what's the, the, the best way to play. And I think that the, that's, that's almost the issue is, um, this is not a roster in the in a very stacked Western Conference that has the margin to kind of do the things that seems like they would get AD to to the playoffs healthy. Like, yeah, they're going to be better with him at the five, but as you rightly point out, especially defensively, that's a more taxing load defense, uh, more more taxing load on him physically. So that's the that seems to me the tough needle to thread. Like, yeah, you'd like to sit him games, and and you know use him at the five as much as possible, but, or, or, or not have to use him at the five all the time, but can you win enough games to, you know, be a top 60 team, be it, you know, even a, even though, you know, being a seven or eight seed has obviously some benefits in just in terms of making it through the play. And that's, that seems like where the, the, the difficulty is going to arise. Yeah, like, the, the, I mean, and, and this was kind of the issue last season as well. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, in retrospect, banking a lot on Trevor Ariza and Kent Bazemore was probably doomed from the start. But, the, you know, they don't really have the roster construction to play smaller. Like, I think you need, I think it's it's tough to go LeBron and AD at the 4-5 and then also go with three small guards, which is, what they did uh, against the Timberwolves with Lonnie, Pat, and Russ. Like, I, I think you need, e- even when they were kind of doing that during the championship run, those guys were bigger. It was KCP and Alex Caruso and Danny Green, um, all guys who are, are better defensively, you know, with the exception of, uh, of course, Pat. Uh, but but also just, you know, those guys were, were taller and, and longer and I, I think just more physical. And, uh, you know, also you had certain situations in, in which Kyle Kuzma was out there and they had a bigger front court or, or again, Markeith Morris close some games. So like they had more optionality in, in terms of just going with, with bigger lineups that I, I think could hold their own defensively around LeBron and AD. And I think, I still think you, you saw some of that in that second season because they, they still had Caruso. They still had KCP. They still had uh, Kuz and, and Keith, but these past two seasons, 
um, you know, they, they don't really have that type of personnel. And like, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, maybe Juan Toscano Anderson can develop into that player. I, I think a big thing for him is just going to be his three point shooting. And, and can he make open threes at a high enough level? But he's kind of like the one guy you can look at as that, like, you know, kind of swing forward spot. Otherwise, uh, you know, uh, Troy, I mean, Troy Brown's out and, and it's kind of continued to get pushed back. It, it, it is a little reminiscent of Kendrick Nunn uh, last training camp. I know Laker fans don't want to hear that, but it, that was, you know, first Nunn was supposed to be out a couple weeks and it kept getting pushed back. And like, that's already how it's been with, with Troy Brown a bit. Uh, but, you know, Austin Reeves, like Lonnie Walker, like these guys, um, I think that they definitely belong in the rotation and they definitely have NBA skills. But in, in terms of relying on them as like small forwards, I think that there's, you know, uh, I think that is a bit concerning. So I think for them, like, ideally, you probably, with the current roster construction, play AD at the four and do play a more traditional five. But but also that's where you, I think it doesn't make sense with, with Russ, where, like, you can't really play Russ and a traditional center together. Um, like, just the, the, we saw it last season, the spacing is awful. And already the Lakers have spacing concerns. They, they don't have a lot of elite shooting uh, really, if any, um, on this roster and to kind of compound that with, OK, we're going to have Russ, who, who's at his best, you know, in the paint uh, around the rim, another center who, you know, needs to be around in the dunker spot or around the rim like that just, you know, the, the floor is only so big. So I think staggering him and and maybe having some some Russ AD lineups with, with the bench like that, that makes a lot of sense. But they're in a tough spot, as you said, because I think the best way to probably preserve AD and really with the way the roster is constructed is AD more at the four, but they're actually like best chance of winning is AD at the five and their margin for error is going to be so slim this year that you almost have to prioritize trying to win and trying to get as, you know, collecting as many wins as you can, especially because the beginning of their season is really difficult. If you look at their first like 10, 15 games, it is not uh, inconceivable that this team is, you know, multiple games under 500 at that like 15, 20 game mark. So I think for them, it's, it's really about getting off to a good start, winning as many games as early as they can. And that probably means 80 at the five, but you are running the risk of overtaxing him physically. So it is a delicate balance. Uh, I want to finish up talking about the, uh, some of the, some of those, those, those role players, the younger role players you were, you were talking about uh, just a second ago, but first, uh, Abdul Rahman, uh, Frequent caller has uh, has been waiting patiently, um, so wanted to uh, hear what his question was. If you want to unmute, hey, how's it going, man? I'm good. I'm still adjusting my new timeline. <laughs> what uh, what can we do for you? So I'm bringing bring in the media day about him playing some, uh, some kind of basically the same as Bogut one in the title. So what is the process of doing that, knowing that the Lakers doesn't have the infrastructure like that team? So uh, you kind of cut out there, but I think I think the the, the question was kind of about playing sort of a, a, a 
more of a the I think you hit on this earlier, Jovan, talking about them wanting to do do some similar stuff to the Bucks, uh, with with playing you know more of a, a a center field drop kind of kind of situation. And I guess the question is is sort of um, do they have the personnel to make that work? Uh, it's I think it's it's TBD. Um, I'd actually be curious your perspective on this because uh, I did. Nate Duncan's preview pod and we, we kind of had a, a disagreement on whether the Lakers offense or defense would be more improved. And, and I said offense and, and he said defense. And I guess overall, I, I still have some concern about, um, I, I just don't think there's that many plus defenders in this rotation. And I think, you know, you, you probably can get by. I mean, just having Anthony Davis is, is such uh, is such a luxury and, we have seen them, you know, we've seen them defend well without him. Like, you know, that a couple of years ago, they still had the number one defense and, and he missed uh, a bunch of games. But I, I think, you know, for the most part, obviously they need Anthony Davis back there. And uh, he's talked about how much of a transition it's been of, of not playing as high up uh, in the pick and roll and, and you know, just dropping back and, and playing more of that, like, you know, no roller, you know, no man behind Um really being cognizant of, of where the roller is versus, you know, he wants to play up and, and wreak havoc and, you know, use his length and, and use his athleticism and speed and, and really disrupt plays. Uh, so for him, it's been an adjustment and almost kind of taking a step back in terms of defensive responsibility of like, he's kind of always thinking like, you know, where can I put the fire out? Like, how can I help my teammate? And, and Darwin has sort of told him like, look, everyone's got their responsibilities you have your responsibility when, you know, when you're defending pick and rolls, you got to drop back, play that center field spot and, and make sure that, you know, they're not getting a lob or, or no one's getting behind you. And I think for him, that hasn't been the most natural uh, adjustment yet. So I think that's something that that's kind of, you know, TBD on, on where they're at defensively. But I mean, they looked really like the Minnesota game is still fresh in my mind. And, and that was probably their worst defensive performance of the preseason. Um, but I also think it, it kind of highlighted some of their weaknesses of just it's, you know, there's going to be a lot of matchups where they are so much smaller than their yeah. opponent on the perimeter and the interior. And they've really struggled on the defensive glass already. So I, I think points in the paint, offensive rebounds, like that's going to be concerns. Um, we, we know with Milwaukee's scheme, sometimes they, they, they can give up too many threes. You know, you, you saw that in that Boston series. Um and for a Lakers team that's probably not going to be making many threes, you know, if they're constantly losing that three-point battle, that, that's also something that can be concerning. But um, I think, you know, Darvin's a defensive first guy. It's been something he's been preaching all training camp. Uh, I think he's already gotten, you know, better efforts from, from some of the guys than expected. But uh, I guess I have more confidence in the offense. I think the offense has, has looked a lot better. And uh, I think they just have some guys, like, you know, aside from LeBron, AD, and Russ, guys like Kendrick Nunn, Lonnie Walker, like those guys can get you a bucket, but can they defend at a high level in a high level defense? That's where some of my concern is. So I, I, I think I tend to side with Nate on this. Just, I mean, I think there's, there's sort of more room above on, on the defensive side of the ball to begin with. But also, I think if you're moving to that sort of that, that, that more conservative drop scheme, uh, a key way, a key part of that is is the the ball handler defender being able to to stick and, and get around screens. And 
uh, frankly, like Pat Beverly and and Kendrick Nunn. Uh, I've I've never been a huge fan of Kendrick Nunn's game, but that's something that is something he does well is 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 get over screens. Um, and um, so I think just having I think that the um, you know everyone's talked about you know Brook Lopez and 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 Giannis as a center fielder, but I think it it it's it been less commented on sort of Eric Bledsoe and then Drew Holiday as sort of the, the, the player chasing over the top uh, as, as why that defense is effective. And I think that LA's point of attack defense was, was pretty wretched last year. I think you'd agree. Um, and just, yeah, just like having, having competence at, at, you know, across like, you know, Austin Reeves is, is I don't, is, is probably too physically limited to ever be a great defender, but he's not, He's not a turnstile. And then you're, you know, you're talking about, you know, uh, Pat Beverly, who's maybe, maybe not the defender he once was, but is still very good. And Kendrick Nunn can stay in front of the ball. And Lonnie Walker has, has the tools to have a chance, even if he hasn't always done it over his career. So I, I, I think I would be more optimistic about the defense. Um, I think that's, you know, having talked about sort of the, those other perimeter guys, I think I want to finish on, you know, what, what have you seen from, I'm of of those guys. I am I I have uh, I, I'm highest on Austin Reeves, but <laughs> I, I but all three of them kind of bring different things. And just wondering how you think that's that's going to shake out. What you expect um, from from sort of that that second and and often third guard positions. Well, I I, I gotta say, um, you know, Lonnie really impressed me. Uh, in the preseason and especially last game where, you know, I, I was very critical of the Lonnie signing. I said at the time, and, and I, I think I've, I've said it a couple of times since, like I felt it was probably the worst mid-level signing uh, or, you know, taxpayer mid-level signing that any team made, like just when looking at the caliber of player that was signed uh, and, and really kind of what he had shown in his career um, you know, I, I think that the flashes have always been there. He, he's obviously an incredible athlete uh, and, you know, can, can get hot at any moment. And, and you know, I think kind of uh, coincidentally, like got hot against the Lakers a couple of years. And I wonder how much that played into their evaluation of him. Uh, you know, he, he had a couple 20 point games against them. But I, I think, you know, I, I just think looking at his defense, uh, it, it was a bit concerning on film, uh, his shot selection. And just his inconsistency as a shooter where, you know, I think naturally any any perimeter player that plays with LeBron is going to have to be able to spot up and, and catch and shoot. And his numbers weren't that good last year and, and really have, have kind of been up and down throughout his career. So I, I think I had some pause on that. And it also just to me was like, you already had Russ, you already had Kendrick, uh, like on paper, they already had some smaller guards. So adding another undersized guard to me just didn't really make sense but I thought he looked really good in that Minnesota game just his ability to get downhill I think he's shown some some playmaking ability that uh, didn't always show in, in San Antonio and I think the shot is still a work in progress but uh, defensively he, he's been competing and and that's he, he's obviously got the physical tools uh, but but it's really just I, I think a matter of, of mindset and awareness and, and really locking in on that end so I think the biggest thing with Lonnie has just been consistency throughout his career. Uh, again, I, I think you've seen it. You've seen flashes on both ends, but he, he's never really fully put it together. But the Lakers also kind of had a, a, a guy who fit that profile last year in, in Malik Monk. And 
I think Malik had shown a little bit more consistency, especially that season, you know, prior in, in Charlotte and definitely was a better shooter entering uh, his season with the Lakers. But I think the Lakers have, you know, looked at what they were able to do with Malik and, and feel confident that they could get similar production, maybe not the exact same, but, but similar enough out of Lonnie. So Lonnie is someone that I will say, like, I'm starting to, to change my, my tune on and um, he's someone who has impressed me in the preseason. So uh, I guess, you know, maybe I was wrong on, on my evaluation, but I'm with you on Austin. I think Austin should be a starter on this team. I think, you know, you mentioned him defending wings, but I think he's someone who showed he can be a good point of attack defender and, and really, you know, that, that he has bulked up a little bit, but, but still is, you know, not, not the biggest guy, you know, most imposing physically, but I think he's someone that, especially when defending point guards, like that's where he, he's got that, you know, six four, six five frame. And I think he can disrupt. He's got quick enough feet and just enough length that he can be that point of attack guy that's you know, chasing guys and, and getting around screens. And um, I think disrupting smaller ball handlers that aren't that. I think like he struggles with maybe like the Ja Morant types, but uh, who doesn't? There's going to be, I mean, who doesn't, <laughs> yeah. right? So, but, but like, I think he can get, he can get by. And then offensively, I think he might be the closest thing they have to a point guard on this team other than LeBron and Russ. And, and really uh, he's had a couple high assist games already. I think his playmaking is underrated. Like he has compared his game to Joe Ingles and I see the Joe Ingles comparison. I, I think obviously he doesn't have the size of Joe Ingles, but like, I feel like he can kind of be that shooting guard Joe Ingles where, you know, good secondary playmaker um, can, can run second side actions uh, can, you know, be a, a co-ball handler. Um, the, the shooting is the big thing for him. He was a good shooter in college, started the season off well the first couple months, uh, and, and then really had a, a, you know, hit the rookie wall and, and was not good for uh, a couple months there as a shooter. So I think for him, if he can get up to 35 to 38% and, and kind of be in that range, like he is someone who I think could play a pretty big role. And then Kendrick was you know, the star of, of training camp, like just earning rave reviews from everybody. Uh, everyone talking about how good he was. He, he was the first one to get a, a crack in that starting group and, um, you know, still might end up being a part of the starting group, especially if Russ is coming off the bench. So uh, Kendrick, as you said, I, I think has, has been solid as a point of attack guy. Um, you know, I, I think there are concerns of just, you know, him defending, you know, maybe up a bit. And then, you know, again, I think based on matchups, the Lakers are, are going to have to have certain smaller guys defending guys that are six, seven, six, eight, and like, can Kendrick do that? I, I thought in the Minnesota game, you saw a couple times where guys just went over him just because of his his lack of size. So, uh, and then offensively, he, he's probably someone who needs the ball, but he is one of the better catch and shoot guys on this team. I think he showed that in Miami, and uh, you know the best shooters on this team are going to get minutes. So, I think Kendrick has a a solid role. I think just because of his shooting, his scoring ability, and his point of attack defense. So I think all three guys, uh, you know, are, are, again, I think two of the three are probably going to be starting. And I think that they're probably two of the three will be in the closing lineup. So those three are, are going to be really key role players for the Lakers this year. And, um, you know, Austin was obviously on the team, but I think he's, he's due for a sophomore jump. And Lonnie's kind of taking the Malik role. And, and then Kendrick is taking the Kendrick role, which which he was supposed to play last season and didn't. So I think the Lakers are, are high on all three of those guys, and they might end up being the three most important guys aside from the big three, and, and you could probably throw a pat in there. 
Sure. So let, let me get you out of here just by, you know, um, wh- where do you think this team ends up this year? Or is it the kind of thing that it's so dependent on whether it's AD's health or or they make a trade that it's 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 tough to even say? I would say, like, you know, assume they get, they get 65 games of Anthony Davis and they don't make a trade. They don't make a big, like, Westbrook for Miles Turner or whoever. Kind of kind of trade. Like, where do you where do you foresee this season going for the Lakers? To your point, it, it's it's really tough to to say just because I you know health is a caveat for every team, but I feel like especially this team with the way the last two seasons have gone. Because I mean, Le- LeBron and AD have, have missed the combined sixty plus games in back to back years, but it's it's not just been them. It's it's really been the supporting cast. Like this team has kind of been snake bitten with with health and injuries and part of that of course has been signing some guys who are uh you know at, at the tail end of their careers and you know i think the, the more early to mid 30s guys you sign like naturally those guys are probably a little bit more likely to get injured but um i think it, it, like it's it's just tough for me to say but i, I guess it, based on your um scenario of of 80 plays 65 games you know, LeBron probably is in that 65 to 70, 72 range. Like Russ is still on the team, but maybe now that they're bringing him off the bench and they've, they've kind of figured out a more appropriate role. Like I think this, this team can push for a six seed. Uh, like, you know, I, I right now would probably have them in that like six to eight range. Um, you know, I know our colleague, John Hollinger had them as a nine seed, I think that's reasonable. Like that's probably to me more of AD and and LeBron aren't as healthy, but the West is just so loaded that I'm like, I just look at it. I'm like, who are you? Like, I'm not putting them over golden state. I'm not putting them over the Clippers or Denver or Memphis or Phoenix. Like that right there gets you to six. And then like, could they be better than Dallas, Minnesota, New Orleans? Like, sure. I, I could see it, but you really like, you said it earlier, AD is the most important guy because if AD gets back to 2018-19 New Orleans AD or 2019-20 Lakers AD, like this team has arguably two top five guys or two top seven, eight guys. And no matter how bad the supporting cast is, like that is just historically a recipe for at least being like a solid playoff team. But if AD is, is the guy he's been the last couple of years, even with better health, I don't know if he's at a high enough level for for them to kind of overachieve. So I think if they do overachieve, it's LeBron and AD are healthy. And those guys are just so dominant that they, they kind of, um, you know, brush over some of the the roster imbalance and, and the roster weaknesses in terms of perimeter defense and, and shooting. But perimeter defense and shooting are arguably the two most important things aside from star power in, in the modern NBA. So like, I think those are two pretty big concerns that the Lakers could potentially solve in, in one fell swoop with a an Indiana trade. So I think if you tell me they make the Indiana trade, I, I would probably push them up into like, you know, a ceiling of like a five seed maybe. But um, as of now, I, I see them probably six to eight. And it really comes down to how many games are these guys playing? And, you know, I, I guess what, what are they able to do with Russ? Right. No, I think, and it, it, the, even if they, if they make the trade, when they make the trade, has a pretty big impact too. Just not just on adding the talent, but also sort of the knock-on effects of 
of you know for whatever the vibes concerns there are with with Russ still there, but more I think more pertinently like the ability to to save some miles on AD if they if they did add another another high level interior player. Yeah, like they're a team to me that's built more for the postseason than the regular season of just having to fit. Like there there are scenarios in which they might be playing a team that's better than them but they have the two best players in the series. And as we've seen throughout NBA history, when, when you have the best player in the series, you have a shot to win a game or, or maybe two, but like having the two best players, like that, that was kind of to me the, the argument for them winning that 2021 series against the Suns was, was like, you know, if you put all the guys on the blacktop and, and we're drafting them, you would go LeBron in 81 two, and then maybe the next four or five, six guys would have been sons in that series. But just having LeBron in AD, you know, they were up two one and they were up in the first half of that game four before AD went down. So like that to me and that roster, you know, to be clear, that roster was better than, than this roster. So um, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to make a comparison to the, the 2021 team, but I, th- I just think that that blueprint of LeBron and AD are, are, can be so dominant and and really like physically dominant in ways that uh, I think really puts a lot of stress on defenses and, and just the pressure that they put on the rim that if they can find the right lineup combinations in terms of shooting and defense, uh, you know, I think it's going to be difficult. I think it probably requires a trade, but if they can do that and get LeBron and AD healthy and both, you know, firing on all cylinders and just playing, at the levels we've seen them play at, you know, recently, that to me is a, a team that, you know, maybe they're a six or seven seed, but they're playing, uh, you know, a, a team that on paper is better, but it's just going to be a really tough six or seven game series. And, and maybe the Lakers can pull off an upset. But to me, as constructed, like, I, I think their best case scenario is, you know, again, kind of a six or seven seed, and maybe they pull off a first round upset. But get the get the seven seed, play the Clippers, play set, play a seven home games <laughs> in a series. Yes, uh, but I, I, look, I, I don't I don't know where you fall on this, but I think they should do the Miles Turner and Buddy Heel trade. Like I, I think that starting group of Miles, AD, LeBron, Buddy, and, and Pat with you know Lonnie and Kendrick and and Austin and, and JTA and like Damian Jones or Thomas Bryant, like. I like that 10 man rotation. I think that you know, rotation makes a lot more sense. I think there's a lot of flexibility there. And like you, you add a much better center who, who can also shoot better than your centers. And then you also add uh, an elite shooter, probably the best shooter LeBron has played with in LA. So like that to me is, you know, you upgrade the front court, you upgrade the back court. Like it just makes a lot of sense. I, I know it's a high price and, and maybe the Lakers just need to be patient and, and wait it out to, to lower it. But to me, like the more I see this team, the more I see what they need. I really do think Buddy Heel and Miles Turner would help them a lot. Sure, I mean, I we don't we've kept you for long enough. Don't have time to get into it. I I would question whether you know whether that's whether you know uh, the, the two picks they have is enough for them to do for India to do that deal and take on Russ. But that's a that's a that's a question for another day. Um, but. Uh, you wonder like what what version of that deal is even would even be on the table but uh that's not that's neither here nor there and i'm sure you and uh you and shams and and sam amick will uh will uh, explore that further in the coming weeks yeah uh, 
Uh, Jovan, thanks a lot for for coming on 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 pretty short notice. Uh, uh, I, I know you're taking you're, you're taking a trip soon, so uh, enjoy and then uh, enjoy the start of the season. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. Let's do this again yeah. soon. Yeah, I'll, uh, we'll. Uh, I'm sure there'll be things to talk about with the Lakers this season. <laughs> Always something with this team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks a lot, folks, for listening. I'll be back on Monday, I believe, with another uh, of the wonderful athletic reporters, uh, um, my uh, frequent guest and and occasional pick up pick and roll partner, Eric Name. Uh, going to come on to uh, to talk bucks, uh, uh, probably coming up on Monday. So uh, talk to you all again soon. Have a good weekend.